You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Guess my name is Cody. I have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so, we're going to start our series here this Advent uh, season. We're going to take a break from the book of Genesis. We normally walk through books of the Bible together, uh, but to celebrate the coming of our Lord, we're going to focus on the themes of Advent this season. And uh, this morning, we're actually going to talk about how do we prepare for the coming of our Lord. And as we come to this time, we want you to have a Bible. If you don't have one, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page 607 to follow along with us. I want you to have the Bible open with you so that you can look there at God's Word because that's what the sermon is going to be about. We want to hear what God has to say and not what I have to say. If you are not a Christian today, it's my hope that you're going to see uh, both the gospel of Jesus and, and the people, us, that has created and how the gospel changes our lives. And so I hope that you will be encouraged this morning. As we start, I want to ask you a question. How do you prepare? How do you prepare? How do you prepare for a test? Uh, Often there's some of you in the room that are really good students. Some of you are in school right now, and you take every moment that you can to cram every piece of information into your minds about that test. Or maybe if you were like me, you didn't study for tests. I didn't like tests. I just kind of winged it. That's kind of how I made it through life. But when I got to college, it was a rude awakening to make sure that, no, I actually had to study for tests. That wasn't just going to come easy. Or maybe how do you prepare for the week in your meals? I know some of you meal prep and you get ready uh, for the week and you cook all your food. And you put it in containers, put it in the fridge so that you can pull it out the next, uh, next morning or, or during the week so that you can be prepared for the week. Uh, even uh, last night as I was uh, watching uh, her- a horrific uh, game when North Carolina State beat uh, UNC, I could tell they did not prepare to play the football game. They just would have rather been at home. And so to Mr. Doug and Pastor Ryan, I have to eat some crow this morning because NC State beat Carolina this week. They clearly did not prepare. Uh, but seriously, think about preparing for marriage. Think about preparing for marriage. What do you do? Well, you, first of all, you've got to get a date with somebody. You've got to ask them out. Then you've got to date them. You've got to get to know them. You have to, have to grow together. You're going to probably get engaged. You're going to probably get, well, you should. You should get marriage counseling. And you take time to be prepared to step into marriage. Not because you're trying to step into the day of the wedding, but because you're trying to step into the day uh, actually that's going to start your marriage for the rest of your life. These things prepare you to be married for a long time. Preparation is important. It's an important aspect of everything that we do. Our jobs, schools, our families, our marriages, everything comes down to preparation. This morning, we're going to prepare for the coming of Christ. And Advent just means the coming of our Lord. Advent has really four themes that we're going to focus on this season. We're going to focus on hope and joy, peace, and love. But this morning, we're going to focus on preparing for those things. So if you have Isaiah 9, uh, you can look there. Here's what we're going to see this morning in our text. A supernatural child will be given to rule on David's throne forever through justice and righteousness. Now, if you're a, a follower of Christ, if you 
uh, have submitted your life to him. We want you to walk in faithfulness to him. We want you to, to become mature as a disciple. That's what we do here at Covenant is to make mature disciples. And so what are we called to do out of this text? Well, the prophecy of our Messiah prepares us to serve an unlikely king with his unmatched kingdom. We're, we're prepared to serve our king in his kingdom. Now, as we, as we stop here and Isaiah 9, we're kind of flying into the text, I want to give you some background. Isaiah 9 is a prophecy that God is giving to the king of Judah. That's Ahaz, King Ahaz. He was afraid because the Assyrians were going to attack them, and Israel had no chance of stopping this invasion. There was nothing they could do to stop them. And so God gives Isaiah a prophecy, really starts uh, in chapter 7, and now the prophecy continues in chapter 9, but what is this prophecy going to do for Ahaz and the people of Judah? Because the prophecy doesn't happen for another 700 years. It takes 700 years for the Messiah, for this king to be born. And it actually doesn't help Ahaz nor Israel because we know if you keep reading, they are taken captive by the Assyrians. And God removes them from the land of promise. And you see, God needs to not just address the problem of this foreign enemy. He has to address the root sin. He has to address the heart of his people. Like the annoying monkey grass in your garden beds that keeps coming back every year, this is exactly what God has to do. He has to get down into the roots and pull it up. God knew that if he continued to deliver Israel from foreign kings, they may be safe, but they would never be sinless. He knew that if he would deliver them from foreign enemies, there was still a greater enemy that they would have to face, and that was their own sin. Before God can deal with evil and oppression and suffering around the world, he must deal with our sin. Church, he must deal with us. Now, the climax of this prophecy really is verses 6 and 7. It provides information about this child's birth, about his role in government, about his names, about his reign that will be categorized as peace, and that he will actually further the kingdom of David, and that he will rule eternally on David's throne. The prophecy provides a strong assurance that God will accomplish these things. So if you look here at Isaiah 9, just these two verses this morning, the coming of Christ or the prophecy of our Messiah prepares us to receive our king with his unmatched kingdom. And this passage will prepare us for three ways. It prepares us in three ways. So the first way it prepares us is this. Number one, it prepares us for a shocking king. It prepares us for a shocking king. Look there at verse 6. And we jump in here this morning. It is the climax, and it's important to note that these two verses speak to the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is God and fully man, but he put on flesh, Ephesians 2 tells us, and we will see both his humanity and his divinity. So look there at verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders. So first we see his humanity. This child is a human child. 
He is born like the rest of us. He shares in our humanity. And notice, he is for us. This is the same language that the angels use to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. When they say, today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. This child, this prophecy is for us. It's for God's people. It's for our benefit that God gives this son for our good. Look there at that last phrase. The government will be on his shoulders. He, at last, is the answer to our quest for a perfect and lasting government. He will uphold this government, but why? Why can we trust him? If he's going to be the one who government rests on, who we can look to in all the pain and all the suffering, all the poverty, everything is solved, why can we trust him with that kind of rule? Why can we trust him with that kind of authority? Well, look here at his divinity. Look here at his divinity. These titles, these names, they represent his character. They represent his role. And there are eight words paired together in four beautiful titles. This is why we can trust him. This is why the government can rest on his shoulders. He will be named the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. These names speak to why we can actually trust him. Wonderful Counselor Uh, Wonderful means extraordinary, miraculous. It really goes beyond our imagination. Think of of the word awesome, except we use that word every day to describe normal everyday things. Awesome means we can barely even come to comprehend it. Counseling means to be skilled in giving advice or a plan or teaching. This counsel, though, is from a position of authority. It's not like your best friend trying to give you counsel. This is someone with high authority, able to provide to you exactly how you're supposed to live. And when you put these words together, you get wonderful counselor. And since God is the source of all miraculous things and events, his plans are the wisest that come and follow. God will work through his son to demonstrate his extraordinary wisdom. Jesus' ministry is highlighted by both the miraculous miracles that he does and also authenticated by his message. They were tied together. Jesus began his ministry in Galilee to speak exactly to where Isaiah's uh, prophecy begins. Even earlier in chapter 7, it speaks to how Jesus, will, this Messiah, will start his ministry in darkness. That is, in Galilee where there are no Jews. Jesus is the one who comes to both proclaim a message of hope and provide the power to actually receive that hope. The second name is Mighty God. And this should cause our ears to perk up. When we're reading the Old Testament and a child is described with the name God, then we should listen to what it's saying. This child should be acknowledged as God. The same Words are used to describe God in Isaiah 10, 21. And it says that we should actually think of this child as God in the flesh. This can only happen through the incarnation in which Jesus came and he put on humanity. And he lived a life among us and that we now get to follow in his footsteps. Mighty means powerful. It means warrior. 
It means he has military prowess. It means that he can do what he sets out to do. There's nothing that can stop him. Think of how Jesus is described in Mark's gospel account. Right, Jesus, if you work through those first few chapters, he, he has power over disease. He has power over demons. He has power over even disasters. When the waves and the storm, when the disciples are in the boat, they are scared out of their minds. And Jesus says, be calm to the storms, to any disaster that is there. And he ultimately has power over death where he raises Jairus' daughter and he raises her up back to life. This Jesus is described in the New Testament as the one who is God. Because in the Old Testament, the only person that can heal disease is God. The only person that can do something with demons is God. The only person that can do something with natural disaster is God. And the only person who can have power over death is God. Jesus has infinite power to do what he wills, and he wills to save us from our sin. If Jesus can deal with all of those things, he can deal with our sin and our enemies. He can destroy them. This is what it means for him to be a mighty God. The third name that is given to this son is Eternal Father. And this is, now, this is the most interesting title here of the four. A father isn't used that often in the Old Testament. Uh, to describe God, but it's often used in the New Testament. It mainly describes God the Father, that is the first person of the Trinity. And it's given to the Son here, we know as Jesus. It gives some definition to the title, it gives some explanation. Right? Eternal means everlasting, which will be important in a moment. It means supernatural. Right? The Son isn't going away. We don't have to worry about him leaving us. We don't have to worry about his term limits coming up. Jesus is going to reign forever. He is everlasting. And Father is described as someone who, who is head of a tribe. And Jesus, we know, is the lion of Judah. He is the head of the tribe of Judah. And he leads wisely as a father would. And Jesus also even plays a fatherly role with the disciples. Right, he helps, he brings them along slowly. Sometimes he's frustrated by their ignorance or their inability to comprehend. Fathers, I, I know that sometimes we struggle with those same things. But Jesus wants his disciples to actually see him for who he's supposed to be, to give his life on the cross, but they, they don't understand. And so Jesus takes them by the hand and walks them through. And even when they desert him, Jesus is, is able to welcome them back into his arms to then recommission them out because of the gospel. Jesus is like a father to his disciples. He's like a father to us. Now, the fourth and final title is Prince of Peace. Prince is a common title for a government official, right? He, he has a kingdom to rule over because he is a prince. And the word peace is the word we know of shalom. It's, it's wholeness. It's the way that God meant for everything to be, but we don't experience that kind of peace today because of sin. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Jesus offers something that no other official can offer us, and that's eternal, lasting peace. 
Isn't that what every government official wants to give to their people? Any good official that is? He said there would be peace for all people and that all people would prosper. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. That he is described as both fully human but also fully God. That his names highlight exactly who he is. That he is a gracious king. And so we see here that that we have a shocking king, but we also are prepared for a second way. It prepares us for a surprising kingdom. This passage prepares us for a surprising kingdom. The prophecy of the king now moves into his kingdom. What is this kingdom like? What is the nature of this kingdom? If he is a wonderful king, then shouldn't his kingdom match it? Well, look there at verse 7. The dominion will be vast, and it's Prosperity will never end. This kingdom is wonderful. This kingdom will continue to increase. It's going to continue to increase. So the first part of verse 7 is really important to understanding what the nature is of this kingdom. But the CSB that we have here in the pews and that many of you have, it may be hard to understand totally what it's speaking to. I think the old King James Version actually speaks best to it. It says, of the increase of his government and the peace, there shall be no end. The increase of his government. The increase gives a sense of ever-growing abundance and multiplication. It's never going to stop growing. So their son's kingdom is categorized by a never-ending multiplication of its prosperity. Jesus said, I come to give life and to give it abundantly. And so this life and his kingdom is full of abundance. All of us today have struggled with the inflation of all the prices for groceries and gas and all kinds. There won't be any inflation in this kingdom. There will be plenty to go around. There will be plenty for people to enjoy. Now don't think of this as multiplication in in terms of children. We're not going to have children in heaven. Instead, this is growth in Christ and his kingdom right we're learning more and more how deep the gospel is we tell you often that the gospel is not just the diving board into christianity the gospel is both the diving board and the pool that we jump in and that we will never be able to swim deep enough to understand the depths of the gospel so when jesus comes back and all wrongs are right and we get to enjoy this kingdom forever we get to grow in our understanding of that gospel for for centuries for millennia that we get to enjoy him. We will continue to increase in our love for our king. I know, and we're just getting to talk to many of you to describe your own stories. Now, Jesus has loved you and brought you out of sin that you love our Savior dearly. But we will love him more and more and more as we get to spend time with him in this new kingdom. There will be a multiplication of both love and worship because when we love Jesus and we adore Jesus and all that we're going to want to do is to worship him. Now this prophetic promise that no one will be able to successfully oppose his authority or undermine his positive influence or effect in his government, in his kingdom. Nothing can stand up to him. Nothing can can change this government. Nothing can take it from him. There cannot be a coup. There cannot be any kind of military opposition. Jesus will be able to reign and to establish his kingdom, and it will always grow. There is no problem that can undo his kingdom. 
And there's no person that can take it from him. And so we see it increase, but we also see this kingdom will continue through righteousness. This kingdom will continue through righteousness. Continue there in verse 7. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And you see, back in 2 Samuel 7, David wants to build God a house. Right? God, Yahweh, has to come and meet in a tent. They call it the tabernacle. And David says, I want to build you a house that the eternal God will be able to rest here with his people. And God says, no, you're not, you're not going to be able to do that, King David. But I will promise you a few things. You may want to build me a house, but watch what I will do for you. In 2 Samuel 7, really verses 11 through 16, God makes these promises. The Lord will build a house for David. He's going to build a family for him. The Lord will raise up a descendant that is from his own body. A son that is his will be on his throne. The Lord will establish David's son as the king and will establish his kingdom. He even says he will establish it forever. And the Lord will be his father and that son will be like a son to God. And the Lord's faithful love, that is his covenant love, will sustain this king. He will not leave him. And so finally, David's kingdom will endure forever and his throne established. And when you continue into the book of 1 Kings, you think, man, this King Solomon, his son, he's the real deal. He's wise. He's gracious. He's kind. But it doesn't take long for that kingdom and that king to be derailed by sin. And so you get, you get through the book of Kings, you're like, where is this king? Where is he? It just gets worse and worse and worse. So, so how is this throne of David going to continue forever? Because it is fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, one, Matthew says that Jesus is the son of Abraham, but also the son of David. That he will be the one who continues this kingdom. I mean, look at this, this method of ruling here in Isaiah 9. His method is, look there, is based on righteousness and justice. What sustains the kingdom is a just and righteous ruler. A just and righteous king. This is a perfect reflection of Jesus' own character. That he is both fully righteous and fully just. That he will make everything right. All wrongs will be righted. And remember, although we're reflecting on the Christmas season of the first coming of Christ, when Christ returns, he will right all wrongs. I'm guessing... If I got to ask every single one of you today, when you walked into that door, I'm guessing I could say, were you wronged? Were you sinned against this week? Did someone do something that hurt you? Did someone do something that was, again, it wasn't for your good? And we could all say, yes, most likely. Or maybe I could ask, have you wronged anyone this week? And so although... Jesus came the first time to offer salvation. The second time he's going to come, he's going to right all wrongs. And the only way to not be a part of getting righted is to be submitting your life to Jesus. He will fully establish justice and righteousness. So church, doesn't this kingdom sound wonderful? Doesn't it sound beautiful? Because it will be. 
So much so that this kingdom will last forever, as God promised in 2 Samuel 7. And don't forget that this righteousness will be very different than Israel's king Ahaz. Very different than the, than the dictators around the world today. Very different even from any leader in our own country. This kingdom is ruled by a different kind of king. A perfect righteous king who loves righteousness, hates wickedness. This king will be the kind of person. It will be this kind of kingdom that he has. By protecting the poor and the needy rather than exploiting them. That he would provide for all of his people. And we say, well, that sounds wonderful. That kind of king sounds great. That kind of kingdom is the kind of kingdom I want to live in. What kind of guarantee do we have? What what kind of promise do we have? Look there at the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Not only is this a prophecy by God, he is saying, I am going to accomplish this by my own might, my own passion. So we see here that this kingdom is going to continue by God's passion. What assurance do we have of these promises? God Almighty himself will do this. The creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, says, I will establish this king and this kingdom by my own passion and my own desires. This God, our God, will assure this king comes and his kingdom will be established. The text points to God's zeal. And that is his intensity, his enthusiasm, his determination. That will accomplish this marvelous, miraculous, and unmatched promise. Now, church, this isn't like your fifth grader running for school council. I can remember back in the day uh, when I was in fifth grade a long time ago, and we were getting our things ready to run for for council president. I was running for vice president and, and the kid that I was running with as, as president, it was, it was, you know, we did all kinds of things. We got all kinds of posters and put them out there. And they even let us do speeches to the whole uh, fifth grade class. Uh, it was pretty remarkable that they would give us any kind of time to do that. And so we get, when we gave speeches, uh, my friend, he stood up in front of the whole fifth grade class and he said, I can't do much, but I can promise you Papa John's pizza for lunch and more recess time. That's what, he, that's what he told everybody. And so we were like, we're, we're going to elect this guy to be our school council president. But he had, no, he had no power or authority to make sure that we had Papa John's pizza for every day for lunch. I mean, y'all can remember school lunches, right? They weren't great. And we were like, man, we're, gonna, we're voting for that guy. But, but he, had no, he, he had no authority. Why, why could he actually do that? How could he deliver on his promises? He couldn't. He just propped it up as a big, hey, we all want Papa John's and we all want more recess time, so you should vote for me. That's basically what he said. He could not deliver on his promises, but church, this king is not like a fifth grader running for school council. He is a king, the one who made the very universe, the one who has knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who is in control of all things. That is the king. That's the guarantee that we have. No modern figure, no modern politician can bring this kind of peace or justice. Only God's wonderful plans and promises, only his desire and passion, not the plan of Ahaz or any other fast-talking politician who makes us think that they can provide things that only God can. God's plans are accomplished through his chosen Messiah, his king, 
Church, any other kind of trust and any other kind of ruler is at, at, at best unwise and potentially idolatry at worst. So no, no matter the, the circumstances that we live in, no matter when someone stands up to tell us what, is, what can be righted, ultimately everything will be righted when King Jesus comes back. No matter the dark circumstances of your life right now, no matter the dark circumstances of our world in which there are wars, poverty, disaster, earthquake, all kinds of things, no matter the circumstances, this promise reigns true. God's promises will be fulfilled. And church, you see, we, get, we, we have the down payment on that promise because now 2,000 years removed from the birth of Christ, we know that he is that king. We know that he is the one who now ushers us into a new kingdom. We, we don't have to rest into or believe in other ways of doing this. We get to give it to Christ and to trust him. The coming of our Messiah prepares us to receive an unlikely king with an unmatched kingdom. But how does that prepare us to live today? Sounds great, right? Hey, Jesus has come. He, he, he's come for you. He's paid for your sin. He's called you into a new life. But what does it actually do for you today? I think this text actually provides some applications for us. And so with this third way we're prepared, we're prepared to serve our king. We're prepared to serve our king. As we consider this amazing king and his amazing kingdom, we live on the other side of that first coming. We know that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy and the promise. Jesus is this unlikely king. He was born of a virgin, without sin, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is God's own son in the flesh. Thus, he is both God and man, just as Isaiah had prophesied. We can see that he is truly a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. Jesus is this. But maybe the most important piece of this is that he was born for us. That he was given to us. Jesus is not just the king that we need. He's the savior that we need as well. God deals with our sin by giving us Jesus. That although we think our greatest problem might be the wars on the other side of the world or the poverty that we see around us or the brokenness because of sin or, or our loved ones who are sick or maybe even conflict relationally, that's not, that's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. And so God deals with that problem first by sending Christ. Not only is Jesus an unlikely king because of this amazing prophecy, he is an unlikely, unlikely king who turns the world upside down. Right? He turns the world upside down. We would think, and to be honest, I think this too, Jesus, you should have just come the first time and, and just wiped it all out. I, I mean, to be really fair, to think that God would use someone like me, I'm like, God, isn't there a better plan? I'm sure that you've even thought this yourself. But God says, no, I'm going to deal with the root first so that the gospel can begin to bear fruit in people's lives so that people can be invited into this kingdom so they can experience the love of the gospel. That's just Jesus' entire ministry, right? It, is, it doesn't make sense. He's restoring people to right relationship with God. He, he does this through proclaiming that the good news is here and he heals people. When he could have just wrote in and said, this is it, we're done. 
we must consider that this king, this king who has a great kingdom, he laid his life down on the cross. That's a very different way of doing things than what we're accustomed to. It's a very different way of trying to accomplish things. You see, Jesus is an unlikely king because he said, you know what, I'm actually going to die for those that are supposed to serve me. That's where this starts. And if we start anywhere else, we actually miss what Jesus can do in our lives. And when you think about your own life, you may be tempted to give up or give in to doubt that Jesus isn't this king. He isn't good enough. He, he doesn't love me enough. He doesn't give me enough of what I want. You may be tempted to believe that, church. You may be tempted that he isn't this promised king. But he is. He is this king. And although Jesus was wrongfully killed in our place, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. His resurrection displays his power over sin, death, and Satan. And it's this resurrection now that ushers in this kingdom. That Jesus invites us now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to receive the gospel and to proclaim it and to cherish it and then to invite others into that surprising kingdom. You have the invitation. You've been invited to the kingdom. Will you join? Will you actually join this kingdom? And if and the only way you can do that is through submission. Through submission. You see, we're prepared to serve our king by submitting our life to him. If Jesus is king, then no other king gets our allegiance. None. No other kingdom gets our best. We must lay our life down at his feet and say, King, how do we serve you? We must submit our life to Jesus. And the only way to do that is through faith. That Jesus is the only way to know God. That Jesus is the only way to have your sins cleansed. That Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. He's the only way. And we lay down our, our best thoughts and our, our, our greatest triumphs because they really are just dirty rags, God says in Jeremiah. And we say, Jesus, make me clean. And Jesus, make me whole. And Jesus, make me uh, able to be used by you. Service to our king begins with submission to him. And so church, I, I want you to understand that every day is a battle for us to, in faith, submit our lives to him. I'm not talking about just salvation. I'm talking about now, how do you live that out? That every day you wake up, and if this is the king with an un, unlikely kingdom, let me say, God, would you work through me now? I submit my life to you every single day. If you feel like God's not using you, you feel like God's not close to you, you feel like God is not around, then wake up every morning and ask God and say, God, would you work through me today? I submit every plan, every detail, every aspect of my life to you this morning. And watch how God's going to use you. Watch how God's going to work around you. It's this submission that prepares us to serve our king. It, it gives us the permission to call him our king. So does your life reflect this kingdom? You may desire it, but does your life reflect it? Does your life look like this kind of kingdom with justice and righteousness and peace and hope? Again, this only comes by faith. The same faith that saved you is the faith that enables you to now serve your king. 
The Christian life starts by the way, and continues by the way it starts. So think about it. You come to Christ through faith by submitting your life to him. And now every day, it's about, am I going to believe fully that Jesus is who he says he is? And I'm going to walk with him. Right? That our salvation is actually played out on the same playing field of faith. That we get to actually say, God, would you use me today? Do you trust Jesus in every moment, every circumstance, every situation? Do you trust him for security and hope? This is what faith does in our lives. It doesn't just save us. It it points us to follow him daily. And what will help us trust this king, our king Jesus over all others? Because there are so many things vying for your attention, vying for your submission, vying for your attention in our world today. What will help us actually say, yes, king, make and use me in the right ways? It would be to meditate on these four titles. Right? Remember, and remember that he is who he says he is. Remember and remind yourself that he is the king of kings the lord of lords but particularly here that he is a mighty god a wonderful counselor eternal father prince of peace right focus on these names meditate on these names and for those of you who need counsel seek him through his word and through his people if you are in a situation where you're trying to figure out what is god doing in my life and you seek him through his word and you seek him through his people For those of you needing power to defeat sin, lean on his spirit. Lean on accountability with other believers. Because you see, Paul says in Ephesians 1 that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you've submitted your life to him, then that same power lives inside of you. And so when you meditate on on this title, Mighty God, that God has given his power to you to defeat sin. He's given the power for you to to turn away from that temptation. For those of you needing a family, relationships, community, rest in his fatherly care. His arms are wide open to receive you and to love you. And not only that, not only does he receive you, he then actually turns around and gives you a family. People who love him, people who cherish him, and people who love you. That's what Jesus does, is he embraces us as a brother or sister. And then he, and he turns us around and says, look at my body, look at my bride, look at the church. And you now get to be welcomed into that family. For those of you needing peace for grief or anxiety or depression, look to Jesus in prayer. Look to Jesus as the prince that offers that peace that only he can provide. Remember, he's the one, before he's crucified, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. Not to get out of the situation, not to change it, but to do God's will. And so may we be pushed to pray to this kind of prince, this prince who provides peace to us. And I believe when we meditate on the names of our great king, we can experience his presence and anticipate the kingdom that he's going to bring. And then slowly but surely, that kingdom begins to seep out into everything that we do. 
and to the people that are in our families and the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with in our neighborhoods. It begins to seep out into all that we do. And although the kingdom isn't fully here yet, we can experience his kingly rule in our hearts, in our everyday lives. And may these meditations push you then to serve Jesus with all that you are. Now, if we have submitted our life to King Jesus and we serve King Jesus, wouldn't we want other people to experience this king and this kind of kingdom? Wouldn't we share the gospel with people who do not know him? Right? We know that, yes, this is a command given by Christ, but it's also a privilege. It isn't that we have to do it, it's that we get to do it, to offer people hope that there is a different kind of king, there's a different kind of kingdom that you can give your life to. That you get to offer this. That you get to share the gospel with people. Church, I, I want to be honest. And, and Pastor Ryan and I have been praying and talking about what does this mean for us even coming up in the new year. But church, we must, if we serve King Jesus, we must share the gospel with people. We, if we are going to be people who are characterized by this kingdom, then we must invite people. It doesn't mean that we control the outcome. It doesn't mean that we can make people confess Christ. But what it does mean is that we'll do our part and that we'll share the gospel with people. And we will offer them this king and this kingdom. And my prayer for us in 2024 is that we will be a people who share the gospel in every part of our lives. And Jesus, this coming actually prepares us to share the gospel. Right? He didn't just come the first time. He's coming a second time. And there's a positive and negative that. We get to actually invite people. Hey, when Jesus comes back, he's inviting you into this kingdom so that you get to experience it. But if you reject that king and his kingdom, there's going to be a reckoning for you. There's a real urgency to this message. There's a real urgency to this kingdom. Because he will right all wrongs. And church, we, over the next four weeks, we're going to anticipate this king. We're going to be covering those themes of Advent. And we know that Christ has come and that he, he has brought these themes into our lives. But you cannot have them if you've not submitted your life to King Jesus. You cannot have hope and joy and peace and love. You can have mere shadows of it, but you will not have the real thing without Christ. The people that we meet, they, they may seem happy, they may seem, I, and I, I've been with you, we've knocked on doors together and we knock on a door for somebody who says, hey, how can we pray for you? And they're like, no, I don't need anything. Although they think they have everything that they need, it's a cheap imitation. To get real hope and joy and peace and love, we must get that from Jesus. And church, my prayer for us is that that we see Jesus as our, our shocking king, the one who lays down his life for us. But we submit ourselves to him in faith. And that we desire this surprising kingdom, one that's totally different than the world. It operates differently. It looks different. It is different. And that we would give our lives to that kingdom so that we could serve King Jesus with all that we have. And so church, my prayer for us as we prepare for the Christmas season is to remember the king, remember his kingdom so that we can ultimately serve him together. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the king that we need.
You're the king that made all things right. You're the king that, that actually makes us right. That as a king, you had the authority to, to do something totally different, but instead you laid down your own life for us. And so God, would you help us live in light of that truth? Would the faith that saved us however many years ago would be the faith that's active in our daily walk, in our daily lives? And God, would, would we proclaim this king of, of Jesus, that he is this king, that, and proclaim his kingdom? And would we, would we long for this? And would our longing overflow into our community and to help people see that this Jesus is the one who can only bring true peace? can only bring hope and love and joy. God, I pray that this Christmas season we would be encouraged and challenged to, to walk out the gospel but also share it. Would you help our church experience love and joy and peace and hope in a, in a very tangible way? Would you use each individual in this room to minister to one another as we anticipate this kingdom to be fully realized one day. God, we are thankful for all that you have done for us, and we're thankful that we can call Christ our King. Our King. It's in his name that we pray.